welcome to the Synapse UCSF Student Voices podcast. I'm Victoria Turner, Synapse's Editor-in-Chief and graduate student in the UCSF Neuroscience Program. In this podcast, UCSF students and trainees chat with people who are making waves in science, journalism, literature, and more. I'm Janice. I'm a year four PhD student in the Savage Lab. I do PK modeling. Thank you so much for agreeing to do this with us. Okay, thank you for having me. Appreciate it. Could you share with us, like, what is your background and how have you been involved in the COVID pandemic? I'm Associate Professor of Emergency Medicine uh, here at UCSF. I am the Director of COVID Response for the UCSF Parnassus Emergency Department. Prior to COVID, I was in charge of disaster preparedness. And then when when COVID hit, I pivoted to to being the, the COVID Director And from pretty early on, uh, at least by, let's say, the fall of 2020, I became an advocate for what I consider to be evidence-based policies for children at school. And it was was a little bit of a natural extension because I uh, was advising other hospitals on, you know, testing and cohorting patients, trying to, how how could we keep everybody as safe as possible? Um, during during this pandemic and then it you know then I started getting invitations to to speak to schools and to school districts and to superintendents about COVID safety policies and when uh, when I did that and really started to dig into the data about uh, kids and COVID and whether schools were super spreaders etc I started to you know advocate for what I considered the best cost benefit analysis for children. You know, clearly children um, from my perspective needed to be in school and how could they do this safely? And the other part of that is, you know, is that as an emergency physician, we do see and treat uh, kids in distress and looking at the data um, from our UCSF pediatric hospitals, we were seeing a real uptick in the number of adolescents who were coming in in mental health crisis. We had uh, you know, concerning signs of increasing number of kids coming in with suicidal ideation and increased hospitalizations for eating disorders and anxiety disorders. So that was all, you know, trying to trying to get out in front of all of this and say, what is, you know, look at the whole child, what is their COVID risk? What is their mental health risk? And how can we help, you know, protect and advocate for, for our kids? And so that's, that's how I got into it um, initially. And boy, sometimes it feels like we've come a long way and sometimes it doesn't. <laughs> the problems that you have mentioned with children and adolescents are also things that many adults have reported facing, things like stress, depression, and so on from just being in lockdown and having restrictions. Was there an enrichment or were, they, were children a more impacted group? I solicited the data from the California Department of Public Health and received in, in 2021 the suicide, completed suicide numbers for California for 2020. And there was a, you know, there was a 24% increase from the prior year of the number of people under the age of 18 who committed suicide in, in California. Um, and it went up from about 107 to 134. During 2020, the number of adults, people 18 and older in California who committed suicide actually declined by about 11% during during that time. So, you know, we don't have, 
data on causation, certainly, but it is, you know, adults have suffered more in terms of the COVID disease burden and of course, losing their jobs and, you know, lots of things that you would expect. Um, they would be kind of first in line for, for a mental health crisis with everything they've gone through. And, and what we saw is that it looked like, at least from this, you know, you know, broad stroke of just looking at raw suicide numbers, um, the kids were faring worse and hard not to be concerned that it didn't have something to do with the prolonged isolation. Kids in California had, you know, just about the longest social lockdown of any place in the country and were out of school for an average of 18 months. And even if their absence of being able to socialize with others was not the cause of a, you know, a worsening mental health crisis, it certainly didn't help it just because you know as physicians we recommend if anyone is suffering from uh, significant depression anxiety etc the first step in their recovery is normalization of routines you know it's going to bed at the same time getting up at the same time getting out of the house exercising interacting with other people expanding you know sort of your network of of trusted confidants and all of those things are taken away during school closures can I learn more about your stance on the current COVID masking policies? In 2020, pre-vaccination, I was as pro-mask as you get. I made YouTube videos about how to make a mask out of a kitchen towel. You know, oh, I, was, I was pushing for mask mandates and fines associated with that. And just, it felt like that was one of the only tools we had in our toolkit. And even if it was only modestly effective in preventing the spread, it didn't have, you know, didn't have much competition. We didn't have much else we could do. So, you know, and the message was, please just mask up. Now, you know, post-vaccination, things got very confused because we, you know, a lot of us felt like once the vaccines arrived, as long as they were as effective as advertised and they performed amazingly well, that those risk mitigation layers like masking would fall away. And they did for a short period of time last summer, and then they were brought back. And it was very confusing messaging, like, wait, yeah. is a vaccinated person I need to mask? And is that to protect the unvaccinated? Or is that actually to protect me? And it was there was very, I think, muddled messaging from the CDC on down. And for kids, masking in school, you know, when they really need to be on this road to recovery after they've been out of school for so long and you know, their education indicators have really plummeted. I mean, kids who can't read at grade level and can't perform math at grade level have gone, have gone way up. Mental health indicators are still poor. And so thinking like, how can we get kids back to normal? And how can we have them have the most enriched educational environment to try to make up for everything they've been through? And masking is, is a problem. Um, it's, it's, you know, it, it's really hard for English language learners when they can't see the lips of the speaker. It's hard to understand nuanced speech. It's hard for all of the kids who have, you know, language or speech challenges. So there's a lot of reasons to get rid of masks if they're not, if they're not, you know, really saving lives. So we looked at the data and the data for masks is really quite um, weak. It's, you know, it's, 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 it's in the category of modest to marginal, which I think it still made sense to push masks when we didn't have vaccines. But now that we have vaccines, it really needs to be under the microscope is exactly how effective are masks. And there's only two randomized controlled trials 
that exist for masks stopping the transmission of COVID. And one was negative. That was done in Denmark in 2020. And, you know, there's concern was it underpowered, et cetera, but it was negative. It did not show a benefit in reduced transmission from COVID for mask using, for mask wearing. The second one was done in Bangladesh, led by researchers from Yale and Stanford. It was also pre-vaccination. And they found a very modest benefit for surgical masks and not cloth masks. So they found cloth masks did not stem the transmission, did not lower the transmission risk for COVID. And that surgical masks did, but only in the subgroup over the age of 50, which of course is not your average K through 12 student. Yeah. And, and that was a relative risk reduction of around 10%. When you, they released the Bangladesh uh, uh, authors released their raw data uh, about six or eight weeks ago. And they actually only had a 20 case difference out of about 9,000 participants. There was, there was roughly 4,500 people in the masked group and the unmasked group. And there were only 20 more cases in the unmasked group, which is not an absolute 10% reduction. It's oh, wow. far from it. <laughs> so, and that was one of the main studies that was touted as, you know, masks are really a key intervention to reducing transmission. Mm -hmm. And the Bangladesh study on close analysis doesn't show much benefit at all. I mean, it's very, very modest. Uh, in the order of less than 1% in terms of an absolute risk reduction. And so then there's another set of studies that you know the CDC has touted quite a bit in schools and in, in looking at, you know, well, one of them, you know, in Arizona was looking at Pima County and Maricopa County and saying, you know, outbreaks of COVID are three times higher in the schools without the mask mandates, but they didn't control for vaccination rates. And this has been a problem with a lot of studies because counties and communities that have high vaccination rates tend to have the toughest mitigation measures too. They tend to have the mask mandates. Yeah. And we know that our vaccines are incredibly effective. And the effect of masks layered on top of that, you have to control for, because you would expect many more outbreaks in schools where there are fewer people vaccinated. So we still to this day, do not have a single high quality study showing that student mask wearing decreases transmissions in schools. And because we have that lack of data and we have concern about harms, just in the things that I already mentioned, you know, that it's, it's decreasing the quality of kids' educational environment. And it's particularly hard on the most vulnerable students and English language learners. So if we don't have data of benefit and of significant benefit. Mm -hmm. And we're just assuming that some small amount of benefit is there, but we have growing evidence of harms. It really violates, you know, one of our basic principles in medicine, which is to first do no harm. And now that we have vaccines available for all school-age children, and we are coming up on 12 weeks since they were approved for our five to 11-year-olds, it really seems time to let our kids get back to normal, stop the mask mandates, and then people can feel free to mask as long as they, as long as they are uncomfortable unmasking. It's not saying we need to prohibit masks, but we need to stop peeling back the mandates and really help our kids get back to a normal educational environment. I see. 
But actually, this is very interesting. Uh, just more of being a PhD student, I was curious, like in that Bangladesh study, did they explain why the mask didn't really work in an unvaccinated population? Because through the pandemic, everyone has been telling me COVID is an aerosol airborne disease. So it's very shocking to find that masks don't, didn't help as much as we thought they should. Yeah, it is really interesting. And it yeah. is, I mean, it, it is, I have to say, when I first started looking at the data, I was shocked. But looking back, when before this issue became politicized, you know, Cochrane has a good review of the, the data we have for masks. And there, there are, there was not a consensus, actually, pre-COVID that masks actually helped reduce the spread of influenza and other respiratory diseases. It was a very open question with really nebulous conclusions. And there is actually even a study that, you know, of surgeons wearing surgical masks in operating rooms and not really finding a benefit there in terms of provider to patient protection, which is which is really interesting. What we do have, we have lots of mannequin studies that show, you know, masks are very good at containing droplets. And we went from those mannequin studies to, you know, real world applications without that intermediate step of, do the masks perform on people like they do in the lab? And it seems that masks have failed us during that transition, which is, which is fascinating and important because we need to, I think that one of my, um, one, I, one of the things that I think is so regretful about the CDC promoting sort of masks almost on par with vaccines is I think we have, we have a lot of vaccine hesitant people in the United States still, yeah. and that is our biggest problem. And we took away the incentive for the vaccine hesitant to get vaccinated by saying they didn't even get to take off their masks when they got vaccinated. And if you were somebody who didn't trust the vaccine, you didn't really want to get vaccinated, and then you took away, you know, sort of the prize for getting vaccinated, that's problematic. And then the second thing is that I think it really undermined people's confidence in the power of these vaccines. I mean, the vaccines have performed incredibly well, you know, for for the average person, two doses has been highly protective against hospitalization and death. And now, you know, boosting our more vulnerable people, of, you know, above age 60 or people who are fragile medically, you know, adding on that booster dose has retained the same incredible protection against serious illness and death. And that is something to be widely celebrated. But when we put masks up there as, you know, even the vaccinated, even the boosted have to mask, I do think it's very hard to argue at the same time that these vaccines are highly protective. Because if they were, why do I still have to wear a mask? So it's, it really undermines, I think, and muddles the message about the importance of vaccination. And vaccination is the key to getting us to a new point where this is, you know, just endemic and not pandemic and decreasing the suffering. And so, you know, promoting things that have weak data behind them has negative consequences. And I think that's what we've done with masks. A lot of the reasons why masks were being brought back was because um, there was, we were starting to see breakthrough infections, especially with the Delta variant, even before Omicron. And so I, I was curious if that was what actually caused the messaging to become muddled. 
it's interesting. So, you know, Omicron changed things for a wider audience in terms of masks, because I think people decided that, you know, Omicron was so infectious and with this, you know, proclivity to, to, to divide more in the upper airways and less in the lower airways. So, you know, causing more bronchitis, less pneumonia, but by that same token, being more infectious or more easily spread, that uh, the people became quite concerned that actually our masks were not doing that much, that they, you know, that they weren't good enough. And so we, we came to this, you know, this fork in the road where either we were gonna say, you know, masks were never that great. And now with Omicron, they're like useless. So let's forget about the masks or, you know, a lot of people, I think in, in sort of bluer cities, if you will, I mean, places that have felt like the masks are a really important kind of political message have said, no, we just have to up our game in terms of masks. We're not going to get rid of masks. We're just going to go to KN95s and N95s. And it, it, it causes the same problem because we don't have, you know, much data for KN95s either, except on mannequins. And in that transition from mannequin studies to real life application with, with cloth masks and surgical masks, everything fell apart from a scientific point of view. And so it, it seems like a, a really opportune time to just say, you know what? Omicron is a less virulent form of COVID. The mass data was not very robust to begin with. Vaccinations are important. They're widely accessible. Let's just move on. Um, that, of course, is the path that I have chosen. <laughs> but there is, you know, it is this branch point where we are either people are either going to say we've just got to double down. We need better masks. And if they do that, they had better be funding some studies to show that those masks really make a difference or just to say it's time to move on. And I think the California Department of Public Health is actually, uh, I think we are on the same path or we've taken the same branch point there because they have not said that KN95s or N95s are required for schools. They have, they, they have come out and said, no, we are not going there. We are not saying that these types of masks are now required because Omicron is more infectious and the cloth masks and the surgical masks don't really do much. They've just said, you know, continue to say, well, wear a, a well-fitting face mask, period. It doesn't have to be of any certain type. So they have dodged the, you know, the they the plea to 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 say we need we need tighter fitting masks. And I'm hopeful that our mask mandates will go away on, on February 15th. I would yeah. like to see them drop it for for kids in schools at the same time that they drop it indoors for mm -hmm. adults. And I mean, that's based on two things. One is the fact that kids are at the lowest risk from COVID of any demographic group that we have. So even the unvaccinated child uh, has about a flu-like level risk for serious illness and death from COVID, which is, you know, is not at all the case for adults, for the unvaccinated adults. So the unvaccinated child uh, was never asked to mask um, pre-COVID. Mm -hmm. And they, of course, have vaccines available to them now. Uh, and then teachers have had vaccines and boosters, you know, really since the, the beginning. I, you know, was one of the physicians who advocated to put teachers first in line for, for vaccines. We were rolling them out to frontline providers. 
I mean, they are, you know, they are a well taken care of group. So it would be justified from both a public health standpoint in terms of kids being low risk at baseline, having vaccines available, and two, from the harm reduction perspective, the kids are, you know, the average child is masked for at least six hours a day, five days a week, which is more than most adults. You know, most adults are, you know, people working from home are not masked at all, or if they're in a stable group, they don't have to be masked anymore. And our kids have the most to, to lose from masking. I mean, they're trying to learn language. They're trying to learn to interpret, you know, complex facial expressions. Somebody has, you know, kind of smiles behind their mask and a child is struggling and an adult is struggling to say, is that smile, are they happy? Are they nervous? Are they embarrassed? You know, it's, it's, um, it's an impediment to their development. And so they should really be first in line as we pull back mask mandates. The questions I was curious about is what about children? My understanding is that the vaccines haven't been approved for them. Yeah, so, you know, all school aged children, um, and this does not include preschool, have our vaccine eligible. Um, it may be that the six month to four year old vaccine will be approved by, by the end of the month. Pfizer has just um, you know, submitted its data. And so that, that should come soon. But any kid who is in, any child who is in a K through 12 setting um, has now you know, had the opportunity to be fully vaccinated. All policies are double-edged swords, right? And for new COVID policies, they can be extremely emotional, especially for parents because their children are also at stake. So even though there could be good evidence supporting taking away um, the mask mandate in schools, is there a chance also that there may be a huge number of parents who would decide if you're taking away the mask mandate in schools, I'm also taking my kid out of the school? Yeah, that's a great question. I do think that the biggest obstacle right now to uh, normalcy is, is fear. I mean, it's policy, but then what happens when the policies change? There's still a lot of fear and we have done an excellent job of scaring people about COVID. Um, and it is, you know, I, I like to say, I mean, my fear of COVID ended about a year ago last month when I was, you know, became fully vaccinated as a frontline health care provider in January of 2021. Um, and I think that it will take time for people to, to feel okay to go around without masks. I mean, in the Bay Area, you, you get out of the Bay Area, you only have to get about 45 minutes out of the Bay Area and there's like not a mask in sight. So it is a little bit of a, it's a regional or geographic issue, but this is where, you know, this is where we live. Um, I think that, I don't think that parents will pull out their kids in mass. Uh, it's, I, I, I think that people will be nervous, but they can continue to mask their kids until they're comfortable having their kids go to school maskless. And that's okay. I mean, people have been through a lot and there's so much mixed messaging out there and it's really hard to follow the data. So I think that's, I think that's perfectly fine. And then, you know, the very small number of highly vulnerable people associated with our educational settings, be they teachers or students, you know, should consult with their physicians to, you know, to decide about their mask strategy. If, you know, if they are, you know, if, if we have a kid with leukemia who's on chemo, you know, their physician may really double down and decide we need to try to get this kid 
fit tested for an N95 whenever case rates are above a certain number. You know, and it can be an individualized uh, risk assessment, which is totally appropriate. Um, and I fully support. It's just these blanket mandates to have, you know, six million kids in California masked six hours a day, five days a week to protect the, you know, sort of less than 1% highly vulnerable. It's, it's just not a cost-effective strategy. And it, 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 doesn't, it doesn't pass that harm benefit analysis. What about the risk of new emerging variants? Because I've been reading a lot about it, that it's possible the next variant could be just as contagious, but more deadly than Omicron. So we kind of had that experience with the Delta variant where we had the two weeks of mask free and suddenly Delta came in and we're all like, we're back with masks. Yeah. So like, would actually relaxing masking policies now be potentially detrimental? Um, well, I think, you know, the masking policy, I just don't think is um, particularly effective anyway. So, you know, I don't, but there's no reason that you can't bring it back. So say, you know, worst case scenario, after Omicron, there's another variant that's even more infectious, but is more deadly. Um, you know, it wouldn't be a bad idea for our public health agencies to, to really put some money into studies about different kinds of masks and, you know, KN95s, et cetera, and to see exactly the impact they have and how effective of a tool are they, because we know of the downsides, but it is really important as we layer on risk mitigation and then pull it back that we, that we have a, a quantitative guess, at least, as to the amount of impact that's going to have. And we really, you know, more than two years into this, we really don't know that number. Um, the studies are not, uh, you know, we just don't have robust data to tell us that our, our mask mandates really do much. It's um, in, the, in the Atlantic piece I had, we, we look at a couple of different uh, school districts and counties and in Florida and Tennessee and North Dakota and looking at schools that have mask mandates and those that don't with similar vaccination rates there's no difference in the in-school transmission. So I don't look at the mask mandates as a critical piece of our COVID response anyway. Uh, maybe that will change if we, if we, you know, if we fund and, and find some really good, you know, really good data supporting how effective masks are. Um, and if we do, there's no reason that we can't, we can't bring back masks as needed. I see. Thank you for taking your time to share all this with us. It's very insightful. Oh, yes, of course. And thanks for reaching out.